재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 Saturdays on this program are freshly served. It means we talk about lifestyle, leisure, and more often than not, food and drink. We bring in a chef and a food consultant who really knows his stuff by the name of Matthew Chung, and he's here once again. Hey, Matthew. How you doing, Kurt? All right, I've got something on my mind. What's Before up, we up? talk about the topic du jour, you know, the summit happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Singapore summit happened. It was a big deal. And when it was done, some journalist friends put, let's all meet at this Singapore pub. And it was a gorgeous British-style public house like you would see on the streets of London. And I mm. felt these pangs of envy. And I said, why are there not any good British-style loaded with deep, dark wood and where you can just go in and have a civilized pint of beer kind of places in Seoul. I totally get what you're talking about. I mean, I think the the pub as a broad concept does exist here in Korea, but it really is like maybe you get some of the trappings of the pub, but it's not really quite the same, is it? Almost across the goal line, but it's Mm -hmm. it's not. And then you get a couple that sort of flirt with the concept, but you know that feel. It's usually got sort of a cute name, and it's deep and dark and friendly inside, and there's a bartender who knows his stuff, and you can just sit there with a newspaper. Right, right, like, you know, the the spatchcocked hen. There you you go. You know, something like that, right? Yes. I think there is one, but unless if you become like a... um Member of the British Embassy, I think uh, it's hard that. to get, yeah, hard to yeah. get into. But okay. I, I, and you know, the thing is, is that the, for for all the gastro pubs that are out here, you know, a real gastro pub, you know, like you find in the UK, mm. which is essentially that classic pub, but just serving incredible food, mm-hmm. like that would be, so, you know, that would be even more incredible. That but, would fly <sighs> because the craft beer market here is ready to embrace something like that. It really know? is. Brunch has sort of. taken flight. You know, people are no longer quite as obsessed with brunch as they were perhaps five years ago. Mm-hmm. You could revivify brunch mm-hmm. with the gastro pub, I think. That's a good point, actually, just because that classic British pub, I mean, it really operates all day long. Mm. Oh, I think you're onto something. Okay. Um, so now let's pivot to what you've actually uh, prepared and what we can actually sink our teeth into this week. Uh, food on the move, as it were. That's correct. So we're talking about food trucks today, and as a corollary to that, uh, festival food as well. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, this, just this past weekend, I was over at uh, UMF Ultra Music Festival, mm-hmm. and it's for one, I'm way too old for this. Like, I'm still <laughs> feeling it. it yeah, was <laughs> it? it, it I, I'm I, I'm still feeling it deep in my bones. I'm surprised you can hear me. I'm surprised that the world is just not one low monotone buzz in your ears right now. Mm, sorry, come again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What? What, Sonny? So, but while I was out there, though, I, was, I actually managed to talk to some of the vendors and uh, the people who are operating out there. And actually, they've got a lot of uh, cool things to say. Actually, I recorded a little bit. So we have got the proverbial clip. Let's hear it. Hi, my name is John Ustik Kim. Uh, it's getting busier and busier as the time passes. People are packing out right now. Uh, through festivals, we get to uh, introduce our food and restaurant menus to uh, people from various worlds and different races, and they all enjoy our food. It's really happy to see people actually loving our food and coming back next day for the shows and the festivals. I, I actually really love festivals. Enjoy people waiting in line and waiting for our food. It makes me happy. Nice. Nice little clip. Yeah, and he, you know, they seem to be genuinely having a lot of fun out there. I mm. think, you know, there's something, you know, one of the big draws, I think, to doing this, this sort of operation is just that energy you get from the crowd. And yeah. that's unmistakable. It's, you know, you, you don't get that unless if you're packing, you know, 200,000 people into your restaurant, in which right. case you're operating on another level. I mean, you're just not getting that sort of energy. There's no better way to assemble a lot of really good, diverse food quickly 
in a location that is not at all equipped for it than to invite food trucks. Absolutely. Yeah, I have, a, I have some friends and they have this uh, location where really big space. I mean, they serve, you know, they serve food and drink themselves. But whenever they have their anniversary party, they always invite in food trucks. You know, just so that, you know, yes, they make great food, but, you know, when you're inviting, you know, three, four hundred people over for a weekend, mm-hmm. you, know, you want to give them, you know, that variety, right? Yeah. And that's yeah. how you do it. You know, and it's sort of, uh, it's a restaurant on wheels, mm-hmm. literally. I mean, it's uh, all of the infrastructure and all that. Do you ever think about doing a food truck? I think everyone always flirts with the idea, but then the logistics of it, the reality of it kind of comes crashing down. And Mm -hmm. I think you need to have a very specific business need to be able to make this thing work. Well, I mean, the way food trucks, as I recall it, kind of got off the ground in major U.S. cities, right, Mm -hmm. is that uh, they'd pull into these sort of office districts that people were sick and tired of the same four or five restaurants they had, and they would tweet, hey, next I'm coming to this borough or this place near you. And everybody would know by, you know, their social media, ah, the truck's coming. Be like the ice cream truck when you're a kid, you know? And they'd run down, they'd get their cheap burrito or their or whatever it is, the, the high-end cuisine that comes out of these uh, sort of hipster trucks, and then they'd have sort of an alfresco outdoor lunch. I mean, that's exactly how it happened. I mean, you're basically describing, you know, third-wave food trucks. And, mm. you know, so the, the chef who's credited most for this, uh, Roy Choi out in, um, what is it, uh, out in L.A., mm. he had a uh, Mexican, uh, a Korean taco mm-hmm. truck. And that kind of kicked off the, you know, the, the, that global trend. That's right. But I think one thing that people underestimate, it wasn't just the food truck itself, but was the fact that, like you said, he tweeted it. Yep. He leveraged technology to be able to do that because food trucks in some form have existed for Well, since the beginning of the United States, essentially, I mean, it started with the chuck wagon, mm-hmm. you know, and you're, you're talking about people like, you know, all the way, like, you know, going back to say like the gold rush, mm-hmm. you know, where people would, uh, they, they, you know, trucks would or rather these big carts would roll up you know, mm-hmm. to where the miners were and then they would sell the food to them. They'd the go food to, comes to you. Right. And, I, and the food truck, it makes sense that started in the United States just because if your geographical location, if your clientele is spread out over such a wide space, and America is a wide space, sure. you know, it makes the most sense to go to them instead of expecting them to come to you. Mm-hmm. I think you know, a, a wise and progressive you know, future-oriented uh, soul leadership would zone – for food trucks in various parts of the city, just the way you would zone for a restaurant and say from the hours of this to this, uh, there'll be a truck, two truck size space open right next to the curb and, um, you know, grant those licenses and have those be licenses you could sell off. I mean, that would be nice. But I mean, I have, you know, at my place, I have my own reserve parking spot. And half the time there's someone there, you know, <laughs> so I don't know how we're going to enforce keeping those uh, lanes mean, clear. The producer asks, are, are they not doing that already? And the answer is, I don't think they are. I'm willing to be corrected. But I mean, in heavy duty urban areas, I don't think they're just truck trucks are rocking up to office buildings. It's not happening. No, I mean, I think there are specific buildings that have, you know, that, that, that have uh, allocated that space mm. for them. Fixed and, trucks. Right, right. And I know that with um, the law, I know that you're able to legally operate food trucks on the street, but I don't know of any, like, Uh, neighborhood or district that actually really cordons off that space specifically mm-hmm. for food trucks at a certain time. That'd I, be yeah. awesome. It would be great. I mean, again, like just to be like you said, to be able to have that variety at, in your workplace. You know, and you could yeah set the license fee 
just high enough so that you have to be really killing it to be able to afford the license and the renewal each year. Mm -hmm. And if you're not killing it, I'm sorry, you have to make room for another truck. But that's the thing, right? Like, you know, the, the food trucks that really, really kill it might not necessarily be the ones that you might be wanting to go to. Like mm. that, that might be an exciting alternative to what you eat on the everyday because most of the ones who are killing it are selling what you, what's available every day. Okay, I see what right, you mean. Right. Corporate I mean, food trucks in a way. Basically, yeah. I think that, you know, especially if you look at a lot of these other you know, kind of like citywide festivals, like the ones they have along like c h o n g g e c h o n or like at the Hanggang. I mean, I went to one earlier this summer and it boggled my mind. Like there were like 30 food trucks there and 25 of them were selling shrimp. A shrimp and the year before it was steak. You couldn't, right. you know, have a truck unless you grilled up steak and chopped it, you know, into strips. And a lot of it just comes down to that, you know, perception of value, right? Yeah. Like it's what can I sell that A, requires very little prep. Mm. So shrimp, you know, you, you pull them out of the bag. With steak, you chop it off site and you keep uh-huh. it in your fridge. Uh-huh. You know, so a lot of it comes down to, I think for what people want out here and what people see as value, I think that even a taco is a little bit complicated. I think there has to be fire. People are attracted like moths to fire, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. And so if your truck has some big flame jetting up over a grill, people go, oh, that's exciting. Let's go there. Right. There was this article published uh, in, an, in, in a major American uh, newspaper just last week, actually, you know, talking about the realities and the economics of food trucks. And there was this one food truck I saw. It, it was a milk and cookies food truck. Awesome. And they're doing seven figures yeah. in the United States. That, that would never work out here in Korea. Just w i t h The, with the number of bakeries that are available in any given neighborhood, like that just wouldn't work. Wow. Mm-hmm. I wonder at a festival if that had worked. Because usually at these festivals, they have uh, a convenience store, which mm-hmm. sells every conceivable cheap confection known to man. But if you had uh, uh, at one of these high-end, say, jazz festivals or uh, millennial-directed festivals, a high-end, awesome-sized cookie with primo ingredients and, like, maybe a couple of types of mm-hmm, milk, mm-hmm. like an Earl Grey tea milk, that kind of stuff. Would that, that move? I think that could work if your main item was something like a soft-serve ice cream okay. and your cookie was, like, a strong support item. I know it's never really taken off here, but, you know, that could be maybe where the ice cream sandwich takes off. Interesting idea. Mm-hmm. Or you could have sort of a la minute uh, cookies being baked in sheets in the right. back of the truck, and you've got this warm cookie, and you put over a thing of ice cream. And right, kinda, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that what you find here at like festival booths and at food trucks is very protein heavy. Because mm-hmm. again, I think, it, I think it just comes down to that idea of what's going to be best bang for the buck. Yeah. Perceived value, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, I think what you find in the United States, you find a much more diverse range. And I think you find things that people want to make a full meal out of, you know, maybe a couple times a week. I think that if you're only hitting up a food truck, like, you know, once a summer, you know, because you go to that one festival, Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, when you scan your options, I think you're going to go, like, I see steak, I'm going to go for steak. I want shrimp, I want to go to shrimp. But if you're eating out of a food truck, you know, on the weekly, then you want a meal. Right. Right, right. You want a burrito, something with a lot of rice. or something in there. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, I think part of the appeal of food trucks is this embedded uh, assumption in people's mind, hey, they got no rent to pay. They've got none of this. So I'm getting real value for money. Ergo, these um, ingredients that I might not pay for in a restaurant because I don't want to pay for their rent and their staff and their labor, it's a much better value for me at the truck. But that's the thing, right? People have to pay rent here, not on the streets, not for the truck, but because the bread and butter for most of these food trucks are festivals and these events. And most of them, you have to buy into them. 
Mm. Like, uh, let, let's take, let, actually, I just I crunched some hypothetical numbers, right? So let's say it costs 5천만 원. 50 million to buy into one of the larger festivals. And then, you know, say it's like a three-day affair. It's another 10 million for three days for, let's say, like a four- or five-man team, okay. labor-wise. Mm. And then, or sorry, about three million in labor. And then another 10 million in your food cost. Yes. So over a three-day period, you have to serve over 3,000 guests yeah. to break even. Yeah. Yeah, that's 1,000 guests a day. 1,000 guests a day. That's just to get out and not lose money. That's just not to lose money. So I think, you know, the reason why you see a lot of these corporate-owned trucks is just because they can't, re- you know, it's really hard to make just a food truck, food truck business yeah. really take off. Yes. And so a lot of them, you know, they're kind of like a mouthpiece for a larger brand. I think one of the most, more, most successful ones was actually the guy who you, who you heard in the clip earlier. Yeah. So they have two... small physical brick and mortar locations and they have a small cult fo- and uh, they have a pretty good cult following uh, uh, uh. and so they go to these festivals and they drum up promotional business for their brick and mortar uh, location so i think they they hit that very very tricky balance just right so the food truck as loss leader marketing instrument for your fixed location restaurant seems to make sense. I wonder if it could be a bridge for these guys. We know these guys that have had huge success stories as pop-ups, and then they go into the fixed location business and it kills. Maybe a food truck could be a good jumping spot or a bridge between a pop-up chef and a a launch of a restaurant location. That makes a lot of sense because unlike, say, a brick-and-mortar location, you could really quite easily redecorate, re-outfit a truck So it could fit a different concept, right? Mm-hmm. So you can, you can try out different things. You know, a, a vinyl wrap for a truck, you know, doesn't cost nearly as much as, say, redecorating an entire restaurant. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, if you have a kitchen in your truck that's easily adaptable yeah. to different concepts, then that's a good idea. If it worked as a truck, maybe it'll work as a restaurant. There was this sort of halcyon day in, uh, I think it was along Itaewon, where each evening... trucks would just throw open their doors and become instant bars Mm -hmm. and you could get cocktails for like 2,000 won or 3,000 won. I imagine they cracked down on that because you never see them anymore. But for that brief shining moment, it was kind of wonderful, you know? Yeah, I mean, I don't don't have any concrete evidence of this, but at least in terms of the the F&B industry, Uh one rumor that I heard was, so they legalized uh, food truck licenses maybe about three, four years ago. But I think one of the big reasons that they did that was so they can push out all the illegally operating food Uh, trucks. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, food for thought. Uh, Maybe we will see the dawn of a food truck explosion around the city and not just at these festivals. Matt, I will see you again for another edition of Freshly Served soon. Always a pleasure.